Welcome to Credit in the Straight World, a podcast hosted by me, Kayala, also known as Christian or K-Town. Some people call me the Nervous Breakdowns, um, the coffee guy, the gorilla barista. I've uh, worked in service all around New York. Um, some people just know me by my beard, or they know me as the Hawaiian guy with the beard. But uh, I thought I would start a podcast based on the film that I'm working on, because I am a struggling artist. And that changed once I realized other people were going through the same thing I was going through. So while working all these jobs, I realized a lot of other people were going through their own process, working a day job and pursuing their art. I had started a film about the band that I was in or am in called The Nervous Breakdowns, which took place in the aughts of San Francisco. We were, uh, I guess, an underground band. I guess we were a punk band because what we did was very punk. We played on the streets illegally. Uh, When I first did it, I dressed up as Courtney Love, who was my guitar hero at the time, which is my explanation for the um, the image that you see when you look at this podcast. Um, but that developed into a film. So that was the image for the film. So I thought I was going to make a podcast about the film, but I thought that was too um, limited because while I was going through this process with the film and it's gone through so many, the same things the band went through. And the band was a to- total shit show. Like we lived up to the name. So I should have known that making a film about us would be a complete shit show and it has been so it's an interesting journey I wanted to share but I figured while I was going through um, this process and deciding to make a podcast I kept meeting other people that were going through their own process of working a day job and being asked like what do you do and it's like what do you really do so I am a server you know I'm a waiter Um, I'm a barista I do the coffee thing but I also do art, and I've been doing it most of my life. I'm just not paid a lot to do it, so I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk to a lot of people uh, that go through the same thing <clears throat> on this podcast. And this first episode is a friend of mine's that actually knows me from the days of the nervous breakdowns in San Francisco. And her name is Jem, also known as Jean Marie. She's an indie folk artist based in Los Angeles. She's originally from San Francisco. We've played music uh, with each other. I've been in her thing and she's been in my thing. And we were roommates once, so the few times I lived with a a fellow singer songwriter. And I talked to her on this episode about her process. We talk about DIY, um, learning guitar, cover songs. We talk about Heather's the film, and we talk about this band, The Muffs. And speaking of which, between recording this episode and mixing it and presenting it to you, uh, we lost a, a phenomenal musician, guitar player, singer, uh, Kim Shatuck. And she comes up a couple times, or The Muffs do, in this episode. And uh, she influenced both of us. She's the lead singer of The Muffs and guitar player. She influenced me immensely. So, this episode is dedicated to Kim Shatuck, uh, Rest in Rock, and I present to you episode one, part one of Credit in the Straight World. Studio, my film studio, my how much square footage would you say this is? 
Well, I, I live in a 250-square-foot apartment, <laughs> so this is a this is a palatial mansion to me, anything. It's like that makes me feel... Where I spin around, I don't touch the walls or the ceiling. It's just like, that's the Taj Mahal. <laughs> okay, I feel so good. So, <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, my guest today is Jem, who... Her moniker is Jean Marie, correct? Yeah, that's the name that I record under. And, um, you know, that I play shows and that I send out emails for booking. <laughs> okay, so yeah. you're in fact a musician. Yeah. You're sure. from San Francisco? I was born and raised in San Francisco. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's pretty much, you know, um, <clears throat> where we met. And um, it's in it's in my blood, whether I like it or not. Uh, it's a religion, man. Pre twenty ten. Pre twenty ten. Right. Um, the film <laughs> I'm working the the film I'm working on is uh, that's the whole that's that's a big part of the film. It's like time and place, San Francisco. Um, we will get into that. We'll only loosely touch on it because. Um, I will like to have a further interview with you on camera mm -hmm. when I come to Los Angeles, which mm -hmm. is where you currently live. Yeah, that's where I live in my non-palatial mansion. <laughs> <laughs> when did you move there? Um, I moved there in 20, in 2015. In 2014, I got out of New York. Um, so you moved from San Francisco? I moved from San Francisco, um... What year was that? Let's see. I lived in San Francisco from uh, the time I was born, 19... Blah, 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 <laughs> we're not... We, yeah. Like my quarter says, we're not going to do this today. <laughs> we're not going to do this today. But um, I was born in the era of, of Bee Gees, to give just a general ballpark. Bee Gees were dominating the Billboard charts. Um, and then I lived there until 2008. I moved to Oakland. Lived there for four years, 2012. Then I moved, then Kayla coerced me to come to New York. Lived in New York for two years. I, I like to call it two long winters for a Californian. Yeah. And California then, in New York years is long. Yeah. Winters are, are something else, man. <laughs> They're from a different, from a different galaxy. Um, and then uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't make it in the New York world. So then I moved to LA in, well, I went to SoCal in 2014 and then I've been living in LA since 2015. So okay. it's 2019 now. So the math, <laughs> cuatro años, <laughs> mis amigos. Um, so that's your geographical history. So when did mm -hmm. you uh, start making music? Okay, I know. <laughs> I just spent like five minutes talking about the really boring geography. No, no, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess geography. No, it's important yeah, because geography, I don't want to get to the music until yeah, people. And I think people need to understand one's geographical history before we talk about where we start making music, and then we'll get to what music you're making at, in your timeline geographically. So. Yeah, that that makes sense. Ge geography actually is something that is super important to me and like landscape and um you know access to natural things and how much they sort of like infuse your day-to-day -day is um uh is an influence on like creativity and art and music and all that um but when did I start making music well um probably uh five <laughs> Four, three. Um, I guess my earliest memory was like uh, singing along to a Sesame Street tape, and my mom, who's very musical, she kind of created this musical family and um, encouraged that and put us all through lessons. But I was singing along to the Sesame Street tape, and from the front of the car, she was like, "Ugh, out of tune." <laughs> <laughs> I was probably three or Asian four. Moms. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, she put us through piano lessons, uh, chorus, choral, chorale 
lessons, singing. Um, so all the Asian mom type of things, but she was more so because she was really um, interested in culture. I mean, she immigrated from Vietnam, the diaspora of 1975, the first wave of immigration after the war. And um, she didn't go to any of the cities that her, her family landed in. And she decided to go by herself to San Francisco um, because it was, you know, a cultural hub where you could have access to the symphony, the, the opera, and just like, um, you know, musical and artistic ideas. And um, yeah, so I kind of like was conditioned to into a classical background, and um, then I then I became a punk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, out of tune. Out of tune. <laughs> yeah, out of tune. Uh, it was meant to be this way, <laughs> mom. I mean, it's meant to be this way, Matt. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, making your own stuff is not really. I don't. It was not encouraged if you go through sort of classical training, like improvisation and writing your own songs. Like, how can you measure up to Mozart or Beethoven or any of the masters? So you need, if you want to do that kind of stuff, you have to find a different school of, school of approach. And, um, you know, who came through? Kurt Cobain, Courtney, the whole Riot yes. Girl movement. I don't know, that was, like, super influential. So that sort of, like... So you'd say Green, your, day, Green Day in the Bay Area was. So we're now able to imagine we're your teens. Yeah. yeah. So like high school. Yeah, Green Day in the Bay Area was just like gigantic, and that like opened up a huge world of just like banging on guitars and making music. I'd say more so Riot Girl, just like the political messages that they were putting forth in like accessible media. And by accessible, I mean, like, Newsweek or, you know, no, sure. like, big mainstream publications, like, I don't know, Rolling Stone or stuff you could find at, you know, a super, a big supermarket chain if you flip through the pages. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, before you go underground and find, like, your zines or, like, your independent publishers or whatever, you kind of have just access to places that your parents take you to. Mm-hmm. So anything that makes enough of a, an impact, then, um, then you know, you, you grab onto it, even if it's like a tiny little sidebar article or whatever. You see people that are interesting looking that, that make sense to you, and you just kind of have to latch onto it and try to dig deeper. Sure. So then by what point did you launch into, like, playing live music or recording it or understanding like you're gonna write and perform your own material because I guess at some point you have to get to the writing aspect I think that okay I guess like I mean there's such okay you go through that part too that's when you I if I'm correct because I went through the same idea Mm -hmm. it's like I didn't understand I could do this Mm -hmm. it's not uh, despite training and Mm -hmm. knowing how to play music Something shifts where, like, mm-hmm. I want to do this too, mm-hmm. and it's access to something like a magazine at a supermarket. Mm-hmm. So this, like, yeah. would get you there. I guess, like, the shift is, like, when you, like, what level of expression do you want to, to operate at? You can operate at a level where you're playing someone else's music, but you can emote only to a certain extent. Like, there is a great power in, like, writing your own words or creating melodic lines or guitar parts or whatever instrument you choose and letting it um, and being the creator of it versus the interpreter of it. There's, you know, there's great things in both parts, but there is, a there is like, a great, like, agency in being able to, to sculpt it yourself from nothing. It's playing God. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which is, you God know, ask, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, God ask. 
But you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, but I guess the overarching question is like, um, when when was the musical awakening? Yeah, I think I think punk, punk was everything. Because it wasn't about technique or like ability to replicate something that people already know. It was all about creative expression and representation too for like Riot Girl. Um, a lot of the messages were like there's an underrepresent under like women are underrepresented and it's our duty to make noise and to take up space and um, just do anything. Like it didn't really matter um, what it sounded like or what it was and like so just being encouraged like that like from I don't know Kathy and Hannah or Courtney Love saying like girls just pick up guitars without being like girls learn the A minor scale <laughs> in order out of tune, yeah, out of tune. <laughs> in order to um, you know be technically um <clears throat> Um, able, like ability was not not it. It was all about presence and doing it in the first place. So I don't know. It was important to have that message externally because no one around me was saying it. Like it wasn't like my Vietnamese aunts were saying. <laughs> How amazing would it be if your Vietnamese yeah. aunts were saying? Like just taking so then, me aside. <laughs> Instead of a quinceanera, they had they take me aside when I'm like 14 and a half. So then you took that and then you made I oh, I mean yeah. oh. if we want to interject. Oh like we're, we're, are you going middle school or high school? Okay, at this so point? we're in high school and um I had some good friends. We were punks, but we were at a we were at a brainy school. It was like a magnet school for smart kids. And um but the way we interpreted punk was almost like we were reading it from magazines and, like, getting it. Like, this was pre-internet, okay? So, like, you couldn't just, like, Google image and find the stuff that you were into. Like, it was almost, like, out of your imagination, out of, like, um, bits and pieces that you read here and there. Or, like, seeing people on Hate Street and being like, oh, uh, maybe punk <laughs> means this. I, I buy these Doc Martens. <laughs> I tie this flannel around my waist. It means that I'm anti-authority. But I mean, it's like a first step, like in the 90s. I don't know if it's still like this, but, you know, identity was everything. Like mm-hmm. how you presented yourself was making a political statement. Like, I don't know if fashion still has the same sort of like messaging but back then before the internet before like the accessibility of information there was a lot of signaling through what you wore and like what you believed in um and um yeah so you just kind of like cobbled together what you thought was were your sort of nascent politics in high school and then you know i had a couple friends who were like Let's start a band. We didn't know how to play our instruments, really. I was like, I'll play guitar. (laughs) And um, my friend Jasmine, she was really good at rhythm and dancing. And and she was a punk, too. I was like, "Um, you're going to play drums because I know you have, like, a beat within you. And then we had a third friend. We needed a bassist. (laughs) We signed her the bass. (laughs) The last person to speak up gets assigned their (laughs) instrument. What do you mean? <laughs> Here are the basics. Yeah, so we were in a band in high school. We were called the Otter Pops. We played pop punk because, you know, I listened to Green Day. I listened to the Muffs. Um, East Bay pop punk was huge. We was, we went to Gilman Street, which was, you know, an all-ages punk club. Operated on, I think it's still like this, Friday and Saturday nights. It was only five bucks, and you could see five bands for that for that amount of money, and it's just, like... That's amazing. Yeah, just, like, I don't know, being in a room full of young people who are just kind of nervous and awkward and 
identify with the same things as you. Just, you know, and dress alone was something huge because you didn't see images reflected um, just because it was so hard to access information back then. You really, really had to seek it out. You had to, like, write in to an address and have something mailed to you or... And wait. (laughs) Yeah, and wait. And um, so... You know, a lot of it was just through pure imagination, too, and just, like, talking with your friends of what it means to be in a band. I think I made stickers for my band, or stickers for imaginary bands, before I even, like, wrote any songs. It's actually more important. That's the foundation. (laughs) The merchandising, the capitalizing on your your ideas. You know, it's visualization, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like... Mood boarding before mood boarding. For sure. Mood boarding. <laughs> mood board the fuck out of this. Mm-hmm. And then you have to live up to your mood board now. Yeah. Right? So then you end up writing more. So when you did Otter Pops, which I, since I've moved here, all the things that I've traveled, I, you did give me an Otter Pops cassette and it was a treasure of mine. I maybe it survived in my. Uh, my tapes, my time capsule that I've taken with me. But, um... Yeah, it was a great. very... So it was Otter Pops. Mm-hmm. Um, what grade are we talking? Ninth? Tenth? I think it was, it? like, either 11th or 12th grade. So it's you... Me, Jasmine, Jasmine Long, and the drummer. Still plays drums in um, many bands in the Bay Area. The bassist, Ariana. Ariana. Since, since retired <laughs> from the music world. Jasmine's still playing... <laughs> Hi, Jasmine. The negligibly pain musical world. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, the Otter Pops were just, that's all original music, right? Yeah, it was and all original music. Did you write music. all of it? Yeah, I wrote all the songs. Um, I remember reading an in in, um, interview with The Edge from U2. I would read any music interview. Um, Hold on. An article with U2 on The Edge. I'm laughing because, like, I wouldn't read an article about you two now, but there's just so I'm, little information. I'm, res- I'm trying so hard not to. Punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> just that whole thing you, where they, they put their I'm ass. sorry. I can't hide like, the you two hate. Yeah, the default just, album on Apple. Uh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, back then, it's like... Guitar magazines would only have like tab for like Pantera and just like no, I understand. Like you wouldn't be able to learn the songs you wanted to because there was just so little access to your know, niche interests. So you know you just have to learn bonehead rock facts because that's no, you're right. thing there. Anyway, so um, I remember reading about how the Edge said that you two. When they got together, they couldn't learn how to play cover songs, so they started writing their own so that people wouldn't really know what was going on. Like, that's perfect. That's what I'm going to do, because I can't, I can't learn these bone, bonehead songs. But then you... So we're writing at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, there, was, there, were always, there were also... Just, like, from watching all those... Like five band punk shows, it was like peeing opinions and like writing songs around them. And a lot of the songs were a minute long or two minutes long. You didn't have to compose like a structured melody. It was just like, these are my opinions. I'm going to spit them out. And then these guys in the background are just going to thrash away for a minute, a minute and 10 seconds. So seeing that as a model. I was like, these people can do it. I'm a, I'm at a magnet school. I can figure this out. I can write a song. Well, so how many? Like, someone that I started sort of this uh, similar way. When I was like, when you, how, how many original songs did you write? Well, I mean, I don't know how many there were that weren't documented, but I just remember that tape had maybe 14. It was, I just remember um, 
being super true to my high school experience because like <laughs> like thinking about it now it's just like um about crushes on like boys I would see in the hall <laughs> my life isn't very different now but <laughs> me neither that's why I was like uh, I'm not gonna give away time but uh, nothing's changed for me as a songwriter I see boys in the subway hallway yeah, and like, I don't know, songwriting isn't too different than, I would say, like, journal journaling or creating a zine or any sort of, crea- like, creative pursuit where you're just kind of doing it to um, relieve something or get something out or explore something silly or embarrassing just to kind of um, externalize it. Um, yeah, um, when did you start writing music? Uh, it's sort of the same uh, period. It was like a, I did covers first. Mm-hmm. I thought I was writing music, but it, it was really fucking bad. Like, <laughs> thank you, Tori Amos. <laughs> you know? It's like, I mean, I, I didn't have access to... Gilman, I'm from Hawaii. Yeah. I was on an island. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the punkest thing I did was sort of evolve in the back of a, a like shady gay bar, which I'm glad I did and adds to my experience and how I evolved. But like, there was no songwriting involved in that, but it adds to my experience and my tension, my tension without knowing where to put it, went into music and went that way. But it's, I didn't have any, uh, the only time I had access to music was when people would actually tour in Hawaii. Um, but we are, we must talk about age, but there was a heyday in Hawaii where people actually, bands came. So I was able to see when these bands took off in the 90s, they toured the world, and therefore they went to Japan. Because they went to Japan, they stopped in Hawaii. They're not going to play a festival in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. but Hawaii actually had a really good thing going for a while. So we we had culture, not... Hawaii culture is great, but we didn't have... Like... We didn't have rock and roll in that way. And so these bands would come through the channel. Like, they'd stop in California. Mm-hmm. They'd lay over in Hawaii before they went to Japan, is my understanding. So I got to see something like Rage Against the Machine at a really tiny club. The Muffs, which... Uh, opening for Fishbone. Uh, <laughs> you no gotta shade. get it any which, any no which way you can. <laughs> No shade. But uh, you think, like, if Muffs went on a tour with Fishbone. But I came to see the Muffs. I didn't mm-hmm. come to see Fishbone. But Fishbone took all the money you paid for uh, your ticket. But Saga was real big. And that's a problem. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a very Bay Area Berkeley thing. I mean, it's spread like a disease to Hawaii but we have like a whole reggae thing so my point is Fishbone's headlining the muffs are opening I'm 16 or 17 and I go to I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna go see the muffs I don't know I don't wanna see Fishbone I'm into that this is weird but the muffs were like you know I just I really took to it but we had multiple shows like that so that's when I wanted to to be that similar to your experience but I didn't start writing until I stopped covering things but I had to understand I could actually do anything at all Mm -hmm. it's such a foreign it was a very foreign concept that I could do Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in an area where there was Mm -hmm. punk at all yeah, it was like visitors from a different country, which is America still, but 
uh, Hawaii is like the middle of the earth. There's, it's desolate. There's nothing there. So if someone stops by with a guitar or plays something, some astringent music, you're like, holy shit, it's, it's mind-blowing. But there is no, like, $5 thing that's so amazing that you have access. Yeah, and it's, I, I, yeah. I would have started much sooner had I had access. Yeah, there's you know? a lot of that going on. So if I had access, I think I would have written sooner. But I started writing mm -hmm. when I got confidence. When I got confidence when I moved to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And then I would busk or go to open mic nights. And then I started writing. And once I got it, people liked my voice or, my, or something about mm -hmm. me. And I felt confident enough to, like, oh, let's partake in songwriting. Mm -hmm. But even when I was doing that, it was like, I really like all these bands. It was like, let's talk lyrics. And then I was like, I really like Turn It's like, maybe I can write a song about rape. <laughs> no, no, no good. No, let's not, no bueno. let's not get into tender feelings. Let's focus on a hook, right? Punk, like, and your feelings come last. Right, like, write the lyrics later. Let's make sure you can write music for, like, by music, I mean, like, three chords in the truth, like Merle Haggard, yeah. like a country song. Or one chord. Or keep it, yeah, just, like a but, read. but I, because of that era, too, which there's so many things going on, like, let me spill my guts out. I was like, yeah, you need to articulate your guts, though. There's a right way to do that. So I didn't do that till. You perceive me before. Well, I will also say that um, Kayla has a... He has, like, a, a a technical ability and a proficiency on guitar that I don't. And that's probably more why I chose to, like, go my own way. Because I can't replicate playing well. The few times that I play cover songs, even... Not even as, like, a high schooler, but, like, as a grown-ass woman. <laughs> like, people will, like, sing along. And then, and then it'll throw me off. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Oh, shit, I just lost my tempo. So if you play originals, people won't will ignore you. <laughs> you won't have their attention. And then you can just, like, be on your merry way song-wise. <laughs> wow, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big fuck you. <laughs> also, I've never really thank you. I've never had someone with any technical ability. I might disagree with you on that. I disagree with your disagreement. Okay, well, let's. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> Kayla's really good with playing music, and uh, I mean, I can see why cover songs. Like that's a good way to go. That's how YouTube stars become huge because they play other people's songs because you know original music isn't received well from people who people just want to hear familiar things people just want to hear the things that they know and like feel comforted that's why when you go into a grocery store and you start recognizing the songs being played overhead that's all marketing i mean sorry to sound like a cynic no not at all and i i <laughs> Like, I like to think of myself or how my bands, my first band started on the street, but the, my fundamentals come from the idea of busking, right? Mm -hmm. So when you busk, you have to, I mean, who wants to throw you a, dollar. a nickel or yeah. a dollar mm -hmm. unless they feel like, good. you can sing with yeah. I'm not familiar. Yeah. You have this really small window to capture somebody, mm -hmm. and um, you need to learn covers. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like a huge whole fan, you know, like mm -hmm. punk rock fan. But when I understood how to play acoustically and mm -hmm. perform that way, uh, then I like I had this, I had this EP from Mary Lou Lord, and like. Then it took me this trajectory of like minimalism, you and a guitar, 
and this idea, I think even on her first EP, it's on Kill Rockstar, she's holding this box with the speaker on it, and it's a Mighty Mouse sound, and I, again, I had to chase the information, I was like, what is the story with this EP, and this, and I was like, oh, she's a busker, what is busking, Mm -hmm. you play on the street, you're not begging for money, you're performing for money, Mm -hmm. if you like it, there's something under, if you don't like it, keep walking, and that's how I approached music, and that's why I got, I went the route I did, but it was interesting because Courtney Love fucking hates Mary Lou Ward. and but Mary Lou Ward's a folky, Courtney Love's a punker, and I was like, where do I exist in this? But I took both ideals, mm-hmm. I applied my punk ethos as much as my like uh hi throw me a dollar soft voice as much as I was like (laughs) (laughs) like and I I don't know how I figured that out but it was both their fundamentals that I I took with me so I but I again I did talk to Mary Lou Ward. I remember one of the shows she played in San Francisco and I was like what do you think she's like you gotta learn you gotta learn a Dylan you gotta learn an Elliot and I did I was like you gotta be like me and Elliot Smith so I did so I I learned a I learned a Dylan song I'm not a Dylan fan I don't hate Dylan but I had to she was like you gotta I was like, okay, well, let me find, like, Dylan has so many songs. Let me find the one that I like. Just find, you, you don't have, I fucking hate Hotel California. I will not do that, but it's I will Eagles. learn. What? You like Eagles? Yeah, but I, I mean, you learn covers because you have to perform covers if you're going to busk. Yeah. But you don't have to sell out. Give me those dollars. Yeah, but I do remember like people like, play me some Dylan. Dylan Bros. Excuse me? (laughs) Yeah, Yankees fans in San Francisco, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Teamsters who are into Dylan. It's the same idea. You know, you get bullied in art. It's like, play some Dylan, you fucking bitch. (laughs) And I was like, what? I know a Joni Mitchell song. <laughs> Please stop harassing me. Just, but it gave me this idea of like how people walk by and I'm like, fuck you, this guy sucks. <laughs> like, if you really want, you know, it just, so much happens when you're busting. Like, if you, for me anyway, it just had like 10 songs that I could actually play guitar on and sing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this should be an absolute. And then people make requests. I'm just like, oh, I can't improvise. What are you Let talking? me consult my I've been talking book. like three weeks to Let learn one song. Book. You want me to like post some? Yeah, got this. Free bird, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't got anything. <laughs> You're lucky I'm even here. Be but grateful. that's when I. Yeah, to your point though, it, it is a. In fact, it is kind of marketing, right? So when I had to learn covers, and I will say this forever, like because you, the way that we worked well was you capture people. They're not going to want to be as as a street band or a busker. People aren't. You have to get them on the cover to make them stay for the original mm-hmm. and that's always been my theory so mm-hmm. I always in uh, Brooklyn mm-hmm. like I've seen this happen mm-hmm. people are like fuck this they're too loud mm-hmm. I was like wait is this it? no shit they're doing a fuck wait is this oh, is it? oh okay let's stay you know, it works mm-hmm. like a fucking charm. But it it actually had... It, there must be some psychology to it because 
somebody somehow sometimes people stay for the whole set mm-hmm. after the one cover mm-hmm. somehow you trust that person and i'm the same way too so i'll go to a show i'm like oh, i don't stay for the opener yeah and i was like oh, original do music this. boo yeah <laughs> but then i'm like wait is this no they didn't and then else i was like all right they're cool I'll say for the whole fucking set because yeah. they did one cover mm-hmm. because they like something that I believe so much in that's part of my record collection mm-hmm. and then they get credit. So that was a long answer to your question. I don't even remember the question anymore. The question was <laughs> we were talking about covers oh. and what the meaning of it or is it important? Mm-hmm. So we're on original content. You're in the Otter Pops. Mm-hmm. It's you're in high school. Mm-hmm. High school ends. Does, does the Otter Pops continue? No, the Otter Pops. I think we played one or two shows. Also, does I, I mean this is for our younger listeners? Okay. Do people know what Otter an Otter Pop is? Oh, um, it's um, it's like a popsicle, and. Um, like, you got a, a box of it at the supermarket. I'm sure they're still around. I thought I could be fine. I thought you lost my mind. But sometimes you pop up out of nowhere. And my heart races and times and scared. Walking with me now in my mind. Well, I don't need to rob my beeline. Believe me, high school because um ariana moved to ireland to go to school there and um i was really devastated the band was everything to me like really more than anything yeah and um losing a member is just like it's like literally a dismembering I, I had a you know the janet waist leaving super kinney i mean i, mean, I could they went into a different right. direction and uh the guy was like, he's a Slater Kinney fan, and we didn't have a, it was like an, on, not, not really a debate, but like our feelings, and, except he's not a musician. I wish he were, because I feel like some of the things I was saying went over his head, mm-hmm. because, because I don't want to sound like, I know more than you, but... Mm-hmm. I couldn't help it because it was like, I know what it's like to lose a member, mm-hmm. to decide not to be part of something. Mm-hmm. And it's, it hurts so much. It, it's mm-hmm. like, a, I don't know how to describe it. So his thing was, he saw it from like a consumer level or a fan. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but you're not really understanding. I think it was also, I understand it was some truly painful for someone to make that decision. And I've been on the other side. of was like, how could you do this mm-hmm. to me? Mm-hmm. But I, I'm older now. I was like, oh, there are decisions to be made. And then if I'm back on myself, mm-hmm. I'm like, how could you <laughs> do this to me? Yeah. And I get this too. So I, I imagine like, I am not a Carrie Brownstein or Chris Tucker, but why aren't I or you? Or like, it's, it has nothing to do with how successful you are. And I think like people see that as like, well, you know, it's like Keith Moon dying. It's like, well, no, it's like when you lose something, it's, we all understand it, mm-hmm. but because it's music mm-hmm. and you, especially when you're a fan, like you feel entitled mm-hmm. to why anyone would leave or not. But in the spectrum of 
bandmates mm-hmm. and you created something. Mm-hmm. It's really like it, it doesn't matter how small or big you are, it that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that. So it was like I got no one to hire one. Yeah, she went to school, which is like, you know, it zooming out. Um you get it, but like zooming in when you're like 18 years old and like you created something together with your friends and you have you know the future ahead of you and horizons <laughs> to walk towards. <laughs> um you kind of think that like being in a band is like being in a gang and like you kind of feel invincible and you think it's going to last forever. You know, if you're lucky it does, but I mean there's always going to be growth in different directions. Um but yeah, it pretty it pretty much ended. I think Jazz and I tried to play. Yeah, it just ended. I think I I was just an asshole. <laughs> I don't think anyone should have played with me. And I shouldn't be I shouldn't have been playing with people after that, after all that. And then um then I was in your band for a one night band. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, saw, you saw this played. asshole and was like, I recruit you. <laughs> and I think that was like, sort of like, um, I don't think I played music before then from the Otter Pops till that point. I don't even know how you knew I played music. I don't either, <laughs> actually. I think you have a sixth sense. I'm not sure I ever, maybe I gave you a, the old tape or something, but it must have been at least... Five years or six I think it was because um, I fell into a circle via Matt, who dated Tanner, and then we ended up in a similar circle, which is how I met you and Jasmine. Okay. And I'm probably guessing at this point, but it's like a good guess that maybe being in that you know, the things you do in San Francisco. I remember you made, like, a... Was it... Who did this amazing thing, which was, like, a Heather's party? Oh, yeah. That was me. Right? Was it a birthday? So you replicated. Was it yeah. your call? Okay. Yeah, it was based on a Daniel So this Hammond is one of those things that I, I was... I just had a phone call with an interview, like, potential interview mm-hmm. at the Sheetal was a bass player for Stratford 4. <clears throat> but she was like, well, what do you, what the hell, what are you doing with this song? In that sense, before we go forward. So I was trying to explain uh, San Francisco or the Bay Area mm-hmm. and the culture of it. And I think, like, pop culture, we all know, well, they have this loose sense of what the East Village is, or, like the scene, and, mm-hmm. you know, Patti Smith and Lou Reed and, CBGBs and but then there's San Francisco you have this the lowly west coast version of things but the culture is so different so while everyone's having what you would do in 1998 or 6 or 2000 in New York but then what were we doing with 65 degrees no summer like our temperature is different um, our the places we go to, where we play music, how we bond. But he, for instance, yeah, I went to a fucking Heather's party. And what park was that? Did you go to that? Yeah, I did. Oh, it was so amazing. Crazy. I was like, who? And I was like, how did I get invited? And I was like, oh, I, I didn't know you as a personal friend. Yeah. I knew you through Tanner. Oh yeah. Who was? Yeah. Matt was my my rhythm guitar player mm-hmm. in the Nervous Breakdowns. We started dating Tanner. Mm-hmm. You went to high school with Tanner, yeah. right? And yeah. then I was introduced to, like, loosely his his friends mm-hmm. from San Francisco. And I'm a, you know, I came from Hawaii as Matt. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assimilating to San Francisco and I'm meeting people like you. And Real it was strange weirdos. <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my people. Like, yeah. Weirdos are my people. Yeah. And you're like, I think I... You know, I just knew like, what you looked like. I was like, mm-hmm. great. I love it. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> it's like great cardio. <laughs> like yeah. You can judge people from their cardio <laughs> in the Bay Area, right? Totally uh, not New York. Very cultivated interior. <laughs> but it, like that shit was to the nine. There was food. Like the food was on point. Like it was like picnic food. It was literally. Yeah. We replicated Heather's. Yeah, there was like thought into it too. We were reading this book called The Basic Eight by Daniel Handler, who actually um, does the whole Lemony Snicket for Children series. But um, he has like some books geared towards like older readers. And um, he went to our, our high school. And, and um, the group in that book was called The Basic Eight. And then we decided that we wanted to be a group of people too and just kind of have, like, a name for ourselves. We called ourselves the core four. (laughs) (laughs) I was all about, you know, uniting mentalities and, like, grouping together and banding, like, literally sometimes. But, um, yeah, and Tanner had a really developed aesthetic. I mean, he's, like, a graphic designer now. Um, I don't know what he does, but he's very rich, (laughs) I think, and successful in his field. Um... But, I mean, we were just, like, 18, 19 then, and um, I remember we, like, um, got up really early. We got super dressed up, and um, we went to this part of Golden Gate Park where they have this gazebo, just because it's kind of, like, picturesque, and we set up croquet. I was obsessed with Heathers. I remember watching Heathers just, like, like, every day after school when I was, like, 12 and 13. Like, I couldn't really get the sarcasm, but I just loved the language. Like, I didn't get the nuance of, like, the sentiment and, like, the sort of nihilism behind it. But just because it was so counter to all the mainstream sort of schlock that you're being dealt um, when you can't access the things that truly interest you or things that you you're seeking that you know are out there but you just can't find um yeah we were also like really like egocentric then too we were like assholes like there was like this um couple getting married like taking pictures trying to engineer the gazebo but all our snacks were there we're like no (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but uh so I guess that's where we first met. Maybe. I mean, I, it's one of the first yeah. social situations I yeah. can clearly remember. Like, just the set, the dress coat, like, so well done. I don't know what I wore, I, I but I remember being like, I have to come to this mm-hmm. dress yeah. appropriately. And I, I, you know, fashion is, an, is a, a great... Uh, communicator yeah and then how that applies to Bay Area aesthetic mm-hmm. too like mm-hmm. going to a function having control over that mm-hmm. in the smallest function where they're going to a house party or mm-hmm. a Heather's theme outdoors party in like a fucking in a park. public place yeah <laughs> um and that's uh, where we commandeer the gazebo but I do remember being in that environment and understanding like anything Someone drove me back home to pick up something to change, and we are going somewhere else. But I did understand that there was this idea, like, oh, these are the people from here, and I'm sort of a visitor, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, of course, you wouldn't be conscious of this, but I was conscious of this. Like, I always felt like... It was like Tanner and his friends, mm-hmm. not really versus me, but mm-hmm. uh, you did have like a sort of inside joke, whether you're conscious of it or not, where it was like, Tanner and I, I think they're shitting on together. me. <laughs> yes. I think they're giving me shit. Yeah. Like I, I remember I went into my apartment and grabbed something <laughs> and I, I did, uh, uh, Delicate myself a bit and clean up. And I can like, Cal, are you wearing cocoa butter? Sometimes like, no, I just cleaned myself up. And then it became this like, I'm your guys like, yeah, you guys, like, Cal is like, 
okay, well, if that's what... And I think they do do that. You guys do that. Yeah. You humiliate the... The shit out the of minority. <laughs> yeah. You sure do. Let's talk that, about I it. I think that happens with any place where people... And you sh- yeah, it's natural, leave. for sure. Like, there is, I mean, on a political level, that's why there's fear about immigration and people are just kind of, like, trying to get under people's fear. But, like, in general... People fear change. People fear... Naturally. I didn't know that was a threat. (laughs) Yeah, but... but I did did sense that. I was like, Matt's dating Tanner. I come along with the terrain. I'm like, oh, I'm visiting from Hawaii. I'm in college, but I'm not from here. But if you rewind back to a time when you're like 18 or 19, it's like... You're young adults, and people aren't really making adult decisions yet. But when mm-hmm. someone who's always available to you decides to be in a serious relationship, then that's something huge, you know what I mean? Like, there's a vacuum yeah. that they leave, and then but it's filled up with other people, but then, you know, it's not the same. But, you know, in growing up, you learn to, that it's not a grieving process. You just have to like embrace um, new dynamics. Um, but who has that wisdom when they're nineteen? Nobody. Nope. <laughs> Heather's coats, jackets, bangs. Yeah, that's where our, uh, that's where we're more focused. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we get past the Heather's party. That's how we know each other. Let's just assume. Yeah. That's what we're first met. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, who knows? Who knows how we met? But uh, how I remember it yeah. is uh, we met on the set of Heather's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they cast um, <laughs> a lot of, you know, brown well, people that's sad. Heather's. Well, that's... Okay, so who... Like, uh, before we move on, like, since we brought that up, uh-huh. like who it like, Which what Heather are you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I might make this a thing every. I think I, I think I now I'm probably Martha Dumptra. That was a stitch in time, and then that dissolved, and then I think you, maybe you stopped after that, maybe Jasmine stopped, and then, as I remember it, I I don't know, did you start writing shit, or, like, making demos, or maybe you reached out? I'm not sure. Because I I booked you. How I remember it was, like... You're like, I have this, I have this show at Brainwash. You're going to open. I'm like, oh shit, what? <laughs> oh, I need songs for this. I don't know if I was writing that songs. That sounds right. I think, cool. yeah, I was dormant. And Kayla's like, well, you have a show. And I was like, Jasmine, we have a show. What are we going to do? But then we got it together. But um, Kayla deserves all the credit for... Um, Reviving a dead corpse. I think we would have. I don't know. Just call me the necromancer. Baby. (laughs) Kayla necromancer. Yeah. There's still one (laughs) kid. 